professionals. Professionals. Professionalism is really what this is all about. Shit, yes. Hell yes. Fucking rocking. (laughs) All right. I'm a Portland riot tweeter, discount gas mask aficionado, and a person who at any given point is probably mad about something that happened 200 years ago. And with me today, as always, is Aaron Simon, who's a board game creator, author, unwilling Goyam expert, and equally unwilling spreadsheet sommelier. I, I would probably say I am more unwilling about being a spreadsheet sommelier. <laughs> that said, I uh, am going to be opening up a brick and mortar shop here in a uh, town in which I live redacted. <laughs> and uh, we will have in this shop just, you know, it's going to be a, an empty storefront aside from a single desk. It's going to be a nice desk. One that has a good presentation on it. <laughs> and from this desk, I will dispense to you custom made spreadsheets. <laughs> artisanal uh, handcrafted artisanal handcrafted open sourced grass-fed grass-fed spreadsheets <laughs> macros will cost extra and uh depending on the complexity will uh delay the delivery of the spreadsheet from anywhere from one month to five months <laughs> and uh spreadsheets Spreadsheets. Spreadsheets. You're really getting across the unwilling spreadsheet sommelier part <laughs> of your introduction. This is, this is your fault for uh, throwing spreadsheets at me like it's not throwing a grenade in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So today, Aaron, I want to talk about the opposite of spreadsheets. You know the movie oh. Fight Club? Uh, oh, not only do I know this movie, I am... I, yeah, I know the movie, yeah. <laughs> Well, in my opinion, Fight Club is the most influential movie of the past 30 years. Bold. Bold. But it isn't just me who thinks this. Ask IMBD, where it's rated as the 11th best movie of all time. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking I, I think, you know, as, as someone who spends a lot of time uh, watching film and thinking about film, I often think to myself yeah sure the criterion collection is great but what if i just relied on the imdb's website to tell me what to watch that's exactly what one should always do which is why fight club is four spots ahead of any star wars film in your ranking or 38 spots above casablanca with humphrey bogart and ingrid bergman right yeah and i mean that just makes sense because casablanca i mean if casablanca were good it wouldn't be in black and white yeah. And wouldn't be stupid and lame. It would have been directed by David Fincher if it were exactly. Movie. David Fincher is the prime director for. I mean, just short of Zack Snyder. Oh yeah, of course. And uh, fucking Transformers. What's his name? Michael. Michael Bay. Bay. Michael, yeah, yeah, Transformers. Ben. That's. Yeah. <laughs> how's, I, David where, Transformer. You know, 
not to derail this even further than we already have, but after getting are... like fifty words in, <laughs> <laughs> and having just shut down my desktop, which I usually use as my my side research device, <laughs> what like where is? I wonder what IMDb ranks for Transformers. I'm sure it's high up there. It's probably We're not like going to look that up. I'm going to look it up, and then I will. Citizen Kane. <laughs> well, again, if Citizen Kane were so good, then it wouldn't be black and white. Checkmate. Couldn't have said it better myself. Change my view. You can't. <laughs> oh, that's my new grift: is just to go to film schools and do the Steven Crowder <laughs> thing with horrible movies. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that, yeah, that's good. That's how you start riots. Yeah. It is. <laughs> If you want to get the uh, the uh, like intelligentsia enraged enough to actually ri- to riot, that's how you do it. Yeah. So, why do I think Fight Club is such an impactful movie? Well, as global fascism is once again on the rise, Fight Club has become the silver screen bible of the alt right. Men's rights activists incels, neo-Nazis, and your weird cousin who is way too into MMA and the Joe Rogan podcast all fucking love Fight Club. And that cousin is probably really into the Transformers movie, which, uh, you know, has a 7 out of 10 rating. Oh my god. (laughs) On I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not great. No. It's not great. No. So the question is, how did Fight Club become one of the founding documents of the modern far right? Well, to understand Fight Club's cultural impact, I would like to begin by talking about a movie that IMDb says is 28 movies worse than Fight Club. Have you seen the Charlie Chaplin film Modern Times? I have. Yeah, it's it a might good be, movie. Might be the it's greatest a, movie a, ever. It's a very good movie. Yeah. And you said, where, where was this on the ranking again? It is 38th 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 best movie okay and fight club is 11 yeah yeah see yeah i there there's a there's a show out of england called peep show with uh david mitchell and i can't remember the other guy's name uh but there's a scene where two guys are sitting in a in a pub and one character named super hands turns to the other character named Jez and says, well, that's why you can't trust people, Jez. Jez voted for Hitler, or people voted for Hitler and listened to Coldplay. <laughs> and yeah. that is what pops into my head whenever I hear that modern times is 38. Yeah, and people voted on the IMDb ratings, and that's why so we're this is all where... doing a movie fascism now. <laughs> this is why we are uh, making this podcast to ask our listeners to go on to IMDb and down, vote, vote down. Fight Club. Vote, yeah, vote down Fight Club, vote up Modern Times. Yeah. So in Modern Times, Charlie Chaplin plays a down-on-his-luck factory worker who hates capitalism but loves cocaine, which is honestly the most relatable content I've ever come into contact with. <laughs> but there's one scene in Modern Times that I feel nails Fight Club's cultural impact. Charlie Chaplin's character is walking down a busy street and he sees a red flag fall off of a passing truck. Chaplin grabs the flag and runs after the truck. As he does this, a labor march turns the corner behind him. So there Chaplin is accidentally leading his very own labor march. It's a brilliant scene. Police immediately arrive to break up the march and Chaplin is caught 
a speech slide comes up sarcastically saying, so you're the leader as the cops haul Chaplin away. Does this make uh, Charlie Chaplin the leader of Antifa? It does. He is the leader of Antifa. (laughs) General Chaplin. (laughs) General Chaplin, yeah. In this scene, Chaplin is exactly like Fight Club. See, neither Chaplin nor Fight Club ever meant to lead shit. David Fincher isn't Werner Herzog. He's not... Yeah, I know. Shocking, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) He's not making fucking political masterpieces. Oh my but God. Fight Club has been praised by far-right icons like Andrew Anglin, my favorite, the once editor of the neo-Nazi website, The Daily Stormer, <laughs> or Jack Donovan, the leader of a Nazi Volsch group known as the Wolves of Vinland here in Portland. <laughs> in the far-right <laughs> essay, Generation Alt-Right, it even goes as far as to say that Fight Club summarizes the driving forces behind modern street fascism. I, I got so here, we got it. A we have to do uh, a, a, an episode on Norse stuff. Yeah, at some point, but they, there's always this fixation on wolves. They like, fucking love wolves. Wolves, wolves are. I mean, they're good for the environment, and you know they're good doggos. Twelve out of ten would pet. <laughs> Just but, imagining Hitler telling all his friends to call him Mr. Wolf is yeah, Mr. one of Wolf. the worst things I've <laughs> ever heard. Herr Wolf. Herr Wolf. Uh, but the, the thing that I like about it, and we should go into this again during a longer episode, but like the wolf in myth, war, in a, a lot of like Norse myth that people think of is Fenrir, right? Yeah. And by all means, Fenrir should be the bad guy in that thing because he consumes the world. Yep. But... Yeah, I, I factoid. I don't. Beth. We're gonna we're gonna talk about a guy later who's very into wolves. So shit, yes, <laughs> he's a total wolf guy, and I assume a sword guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fight Club even coined the idea of calling people snowflakes, which is a little known fact. But today, I want to talk about a lot of things, like how much I dislike Chuck Palhunik how hot I think Brad Pitt is as Tyler Durden, how much I hate liberals. But more than anything else, I want us to explore how the far right fell in love with Fight Club by not understanding the point of Fight Club. Which is to not talk about Fight Club. Yeah, just to not talk about Fight Club. This is the first of many jokes. Yeah, yeah, that's the... That's the only one that we're going to make the whole podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, you believe that yourself. You got, you go, you go with that, buddy. <laughs> and lastly, but most importantly, we're going to spend some time diving into the dangers of satirizing the far right. Fight Club is a perfect warning about how Nazis can't take a joke, but they can corrupt one. They can even take a work that satirizes their very movement, twist its meaning, and have it help lead society's march backwards. Part one, Fight Club is bad. (laughs) Every good essay starts off with saying your thesis statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My thesis is that it's not a good movie. (laughs) In this essay, I will seek to prove. (laughs) (laughs) Fight Club is bad. Because I am both a hack and a fraud, I will now make the obligatory joke. We are going to talk about Fight Club. You beat me to it, though, you fuck. Ha 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 ha. 
Fight Club is a 1996 book by author, Portland local, and fuckboy haircut enthusiast Chuck Palhunik, whose name I both cannot and refuse to pronounce correctly. <laughs> Don't at me. I already know. It is also a movie directed by David Fincher, whose name I clearly can pronounce, but who I hate to talk about. While the book is the true origin of the far-right love affair with Fight Club, we're going to be focusing on the movie because it has sold tens of millions of copies and the book has not. The author has also said the movie is a pretty faithful adaptation of Fight Club, so we're going to talk about the film instead of the book. Fight Club stars Jack, who works a shit job visiting auto accidents to see if a car manufacturer should make a recall or if it would be cheaper for the company to settle out of court. This is obviously a shit job done by monsters and is only necessary in late-stage capitalism. It's a great pick for a nihilism movie. Because of this terrible job and the general, terrible, the general terribleness of Jack's life, Jack can't sleep. To cure this problem, he begins attending illness support groups for the sorrow-filled catharsis that happens there. He cries, he whines, he catharts with dying folks, and then he can finally conk out. I, I like the term cathart. Cathart. As, as a, well, I guess that would be an, a verb. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> master's in creative writing coming in handy. Uh, I, I didn't take, a, my master's was not in grammar, thank you. <laughs> that's, that's for the editors to, to know. I'm a writer, thank you very much. <laughs> whole point of writing is to forget about grammar. Exactly. It's to create new grammars. <laughs> However, this catharsis is ruined when a manic demon dream girl named Marla, who the writers got on loan from Tim Burton's edgier teenage wet dreams, starts attending the groups as well, despite not being sick. <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. one? That's a good one. She stepped out of a hot topic. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, yeah, that is a that's a good phrase. Yeah. Very yeah. uh very how girls I wanted to sleep with in early high school looked like. Yep. <laughs> Which is the whole point of Fight Club. It really is. <laughs> oh. Marla, knowing that Jack's faking it, really gets in the way of him exploiting dying people to relax, though. So they talk and agree to never be at the same groups at the same times so that they can better victimize the terminally ill. After he and Marla strike this sick deal, Jack meets a man named Tyler Durden on his flight home from a business trip. Tyler gives Jack his number. Jack gets off his flight and returns home, only to discover that his apartment has exploded. I'm not skipping any details here. This is the nightmare I have every time I leave on a trip for work is <laughs> I'm going to come back and my apartment's going to be gone. Yeah, it's just going to have exploded randomly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the difference being, though, that I would never speak to anyone on a flight, but uh-oh. Yeah. What's happening in Fight Club? Did he speak to someone? He didn't. When you're far right, psychic split happens <laughs> not if when when yeah when you become a far-right grifter yep <laughs> you once were jewish and now you've seen the light of modern <laughs> when i when i finally do open up that spreadsheet shop yeah exactly when you become <laughs> the middle class yep <laughs> 
So, being now friendless and houseless, Jack calls Tyler. They meet at a bar. Tyler lectures him about consumerism and the failings of modern culture. Then they have a friendly fight in the parking lot, which is what I do every Tuesday in that exact order. Go out to a bar, get into a fist fight. It's a great time. You're forgetting the all-important detail of me screaming incoherently about consumerism. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how else are you supposed to meet people, right? That's true. That's all I have left is screaming angrily about (laughs) politics and strangers. Let me tell you about my sad facts. (laughs) Mikhail Bakunin would hate this. (laughs) <laughs> as you're as you're put on yet another bar's blacklist yeah exactly <laughs> fucking bar fascists <laughs> so tyler and jack like punching each other so much that they move in together and continue fighting in this dive bar parking lot and let me tell you Random fistfights in parking lots is really the only way one should find roommates. Don't go to Craigslist. Just fight a stranger at a Denny's and you'll be best friends forever. Yep. Yep. Nothing wrong with that theory. Flawless logic. (laughs) Very quickly, the two's parking lot brawls gain more members and the eponymous fight club begins to form. As they continue to live together, Tyler spends more time ranting about consumerism, nihilism, and the general problems with modern America, which I can't say without doing the Ben Shapiro voice a little bit. <laughs> it, it, I think it's because it's got that good shrill quality. It does. That is so key yeah. to any nearly incoherent ramble. Yeah, he just sounds like he's incoherently mad in another room. <laughs> Always. You're listening. It's it's like how I can hear my neighbors talking 24 hours a day, seven days a week. (laughs) And sometimes I can make out distinct walls because uh, in the town in which we live, which is redacted, Redacted. uh, (laughs) all of the walls are paper thin for some reason. Yep. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, you can hear everything that is happening around you. Yeah. It's because it never gets redacted season here, really. That's, that's right, yeah. It's always redacted. Yeah, it's always redacted. redacted. But <laughs> just <laughs> redacted enough. <laughs> yeah. So Tyler has bargain bin philosophy rants like advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. Or you're not special. You're not a beautiful or unique snowflake. You are the same decaying organic matter as everything else. <laughs> you, you're really leaning into the right-wing grifter radio voice there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to channel Rush Limbaugh meets Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe Rogan, I think you would need to be more, like, subdued. Like, <laughs> you've just, you're on something, and it's not clear what it is, but it's some kind of downer. Like, wow, have you ever thought about how, like, advertising has this chasing cars and clothes, man? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fuck that guy. No, we'll we'll talk about him later. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) At this point, we begin to realize that Tyler isn't just crazy. He's political and crazy. (laughs) Which only ever goes one of two ways. At the same point in the film... Marla and Tyler begin to fuck, which annoys the narrator, 
possibly because he wants to fuck Marla, but probably because he wants to fuck Tyler. As anyone who has seen this movie knows, it is an incredibly homoerotic film. Think Top Gun, but everyone is always dirty. <laughs> Just got a layer of grime. And it's yeah, like that, the whole film. It's not like Mad Max where it's like dust and dirt and oil. It's just like grime. Yeah, it's like that snow dirt that forms on like New York streets. Yeah, yeah. All over like, everybody. It's like that. And it's this in some like post apocalyptic movies, there's always some kind of layer of just radioactive, just schmutz. Yeah. And that is, yeah. Same and it's thing. just dudes licking and punching it off each other's abs for the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there is a porno version of this called Fuck Club? 100% right? <laughs> if not we're making it damn it <laughs> I'm sure I can get the Daily Wire's new movie empire to fund that <laughs> absolutely fuck club brought to you by Ben Shapiro and Gina Carano <laughs> good lord okay um, that was a joke too far for me Moving on. You fool. <laughs> Never imagine Ben Shapiro and Gina Carano fucking. No. Yeah, you're, you did it. Yep. <laughs> this is your fault. So the Fight Club's cathartic violence combines with Tyler's philosophical rhetoric, and he begins to get a cult following. This following grows and hardens into an organization known as Project Mayhem, a group of people who do anti-corporate vandalism. And oh boy, Aaron, let me assure you, anti-corporate vandalism is incredibly cathartic, or so I have read on the internet. Alleged. Yeah. But remember, listeners, don't do a vandalism, because then you might feel better or something. Project Mayhem begins to grow, and people begin to worship Tyler. He is seen as this masculine hero, saving all the disaffected men from the crushing weight of modern existence. And they love him for it. Everyone wears cool uniforms and has fun names and trains in military style, which I'm sure we should never be concerned about when anyone does that. Absolutely not. Nope. So everything's going great for them. However, when a member of Project Mayhem gets killed by the cops while doing a vandalism, our narrator starts to have doubts about this whole thing. He begins to distrust Tyler. And so he follows Tyler's paper trail to try and figure out what Tyler is doing. Jack learns that Project Mayhem is way bigger than the narrator ever knew. It's a national organization. Jack is pretty concerned by this. While on one of these paperwork quests, a member of Project Mayhem from a different city refers to Jack as Mr. Durden, which is weird, but doesn't seem super noteworthy until he gets home and Marla does the same thing. And this lets us in on the big twist. You ready, Aaron? I don't think I can handle this. Jack was Tyler all along. What? <laughs> oh my God. Who'd have thought? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> 
So the thing that that gets me about that, and uh, yeah, this is I'm going to be working this into my stand up routine. This is my tight five. <laughs> Are we supposed to believe that no one uses their names in this universe? Come on. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, apparently Bobby. not. Yeah, it has the, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld's Fight Club material. <laughs> it's the extent of the routine. <laughs> so Tyler Durden is a split personality that Jack has, and everyone kept it a super special secret for a very long time, because as you noted in your stand-up routine, nobody <laughs> uses their names. <laughs> This is not good plot work. I think with a master's in English, you can agree. <laughs> Creative writing. It's it's uh, yeah. well well well. I'm sure we'll talk about like the cultural context of this later on. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so once the narrator comes to this realization, Tyler takes over Jack's brain, and Jack wakes up with Tyler holding a gun in his mouth and telling him that he's in a credit card building, and it's about to explode along with all the <laughs> other credit card buildings. this is tyler's plan to destroy credit card debt and jack is helpless to save his own life or stop tyler from blowing up a bunch of skyscrapers to stop credit cards but jack remembers in this moment that he is tyler and if he is tyler then he's holding the gun that tyler's holding so he can use the gun that him Tyler is holding to kill the Tyler that was inside him all along by shooting himself and his Tyler self all in one go. Does that make sense? Are you, are you following Aaron? Yeah, I, listeners can't see it, but I've got a whiteboard. <laughs> uh, and I had it in preparation for this moment. So I've been charting this out yeah. as we've been discussing this. And I think it makes sense. I've got like, one, two, three, five, five colors charting out all of these things. They're all color coded, of course, but I think I've got it. Yeah, very, very clear. Very, very good writing. Very solid, good writing. So anyway, Jack shoots himself through the cheek and this kills his splur- split personality, but leaves Jack alive. I believe nine out of ten psychologists don't recommend this treatment. <laughs> really you usually hear this is uh if someone's you know there's there's a possibility that someone's got disassociative personality disorder then uh i thought they they recommended shooting yourself through the mouth yeah. but i guess not that's so weird yeah i mean it cures jack so it must work good writing fight club is good <laughs> chuck poliniuk is good yeah we refuse to pronounce his name right Chucky Pete. I can do that because I'm from Redacted. He's one of our Redacted people. (laughs) (laughs) So Marla arrives just in time to greet our newly in control narrator. They snuggle and the credit card buildings explode. Roll credits on Fight Club. Doesn't it end with a Pixies song? It does end with a Pixies song. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Which is a huge bummer because the Pixies are good. Yeah, Pixies are good. I think, yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit, but this is like (laughs) one of the most Gen X movies out there. Yeah, yeah. As our our resident podcast 90s expert. (laughs) 
So if all of that sounds like nonsense, that's because it is. As we've said, plot is not the point of Fight Club. Brad Pitt is the point of Fight Club. (laughs) And I don't just mean that in a deeply thirsty way. Tyler Durden is the human embodiment of fascism, and the movie is commenting on fascism. Umberto Eco, a historian, philosopher, and one of the world's foremost experts on fascism, wrote a list of the 14 common traits that fascists tend to have. You can find the whole list online, and they do all relate to Fight Club, but I want to list the ones that Tyler Durden embodies most to prove that he is in fact a fascist. First is the cult of tradition. Tyler creates rigid rules for Fight Club that need to be followed at all costs. Yeah, they're they're real rigid rules. (laughs) Number two, the rejection of modernism. Tyler endlessly rants about the joys of the before times, before we had cars and stuff and life was convenient. (laughs) Penicillin, back. Yeah, penicillin, back when Cossacks roamed around the plains burning Jewish villages. Yeah, aren't you aren't you uh hoping to go back to that? The, the before times are great. <laughs> we all love the before times. History, historically a great time for Jewish people. Or anyone who was not English. <laughs> yeah, there, there was even a time in history when it really fucking sucked to be German. <laughs> <laughs> hundreds of small micro states just killing each other at all times. Yeah, over the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism, which I don't even know exists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a peasant. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> Three, the cult of action for action's sake. Tyler praises heroism and action more than any goal. It isn't about accomplishing anything. It's about fighting something. Don't need to build anyone up. Just destroy shit. Fight in a parking lot. Four, the appeal to social frustration. This is the basis of Tyler Durden's whole argument. Society has emasculated you. Become strong again. Be more than your fucking khakis. Five, contempt for the weak. See the above quote about snowflakes. Six, everybody in Fight Club is educated to become a hero. That's the whole point of Fight Club. Heroic violence. And seven, machismo and weaponry. I don't even need to give an example from Fight Club for that. <laughs> I think the, the example is Fight Club. Yeah, the whole book. Yeah, just, just look at it. These seven things are Tyler Durden to a T. When Jack puts the gun in his mouth and pulls the trigger, it isn't just a rejection of Durden. It's a rejection of everything Durden turned Jack into. It's a rejection of the fascist inside Jack. We've now finished summarizing the plot of Fight Club. (laughs) Which was just too stupid for me to not angrily summarize for a little bit. (laughs) There are some things that deserve a snark summary. And yeah, yeah, that is is one of them. (laughs) Like, good lord, that book is bad. Yeah. There, he he's got another uh, plenty of get another. He came out with another book that he's got a lot of books that are bad. Yeah, but there was one where I, I read it and I real I, I I remember thinking I can't read this guy anymore. And it was I think it was called Pygmy, and it was about a short dude from I think North Korea. 
who was tasked with infiltrating American society as like a high school student. It, it was, it, yeah, I don't remember much else about it than that, but I read it and I went, I can't do this anymore. That sounds so I, problematic I, in so many was, ways. Ah, God, yeah, Chucky P. Chucky P. <laughs> Chucky P. Part two, David Fincher, Chuck Palhunik, and Fight Club's Milkshake Duck. I would like to begin this section by refusing to explain what a milkshake duck is. Okay, good. I was concerned. Yeah. I'm doing this because it makes me laugh to make something that other people are supposed to enjoy, like a podcast, and include a joke that no one gets. Get fucked, people listening to the podcast I made for them. I approve of that irrational aggression toward our listener base. If you don't hate your audience, are you really an artist? <laughs> yeah. Who the hell do you think you are listening to the... You idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoying content. Ugh. <laughs> Fucking plebes. Proles. No place for them in my glorious revolution. <laughs> there will be no proles in my glorious revolution. There will only be gardeners yeah i don't know i <laughs> think <laughs> looking at someone's patio garden at that <laughs> so normally this is the time in the podcast where we would consider the life of the author and the things that drove them to write the stories they did and usually how those motivations couldn't line up with the right wing but David Fincher and Chuck Palahniuk aren't interesting enough to warrant that level of scrutiny. Neither of them has led that interesting a life, nor are they the kind of creative geniuses where it's worth poring over every detail of their day-to-day -day activities. They write okay books or make okay movies, but nothing spectacular, and that's fine. I I, I will stand up for Seven. I think Seven is a good, like a legitimately good movie. Seven is a good movie if for no other reason than watching Morgan Freeman try to get Brad Pitt to be a good actor for an hour and 40 minutes <laughs> almost accomplishing that feat and then having Brad Pitt absolutely fuck up the landing in the last two <laughs> that yeah that's good i there's i've got a i've got a story about seven uh really quick really really quick <laughs> Uh, so I went to I went to college and redacted, and one of my friends was uh, was a guy who had like never gone out of the South, and uh, I was talking to him one day, and I was like, "You ever gonna go up to New York?" And he goes, "No, nah, man." I was like, "Well, why not?" And he goes, "Well, you ever seen Seven? Oh and I was like, "Dude, it's not like Seven. He goes, "I don't know. Every movie I've seen about New York is about murderers. <laughs> it's about serial killers." I was like, "Dude." <laughs> That's fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Good dude. That is really factually good. like an unfortunate reality <laughs> is that so many people. I I think that's what it's a good it well, I mean, it's obviously failed, but it I think it held up for a little while. And maybe that's a tactic that redacted needs to do in order to get the goddamn Californians to stop moving up here. Yeah. I mean the redacted Antifa is doing its best to really <laughs> tank Redacted's view on the true. national stage. True, true, true. Redacted, redacted, redacted. Yeah. 
our, our mayor redacted Wheeler is pretty upset about it pretty consistently. <laughs> that, I think that should be a sticker. Redacted Wheeler? <laughs> just a big, like, just a, a block over his face. A black, a black bar over his face. Black flag. Mm. There we go. Good band. Listen to Black Flag, everyone. Yep. <laughs> they will never be on this podcast. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and if there is reason to, I will fight against it. <laughs> yep. So, neither of them is that interesting. So I would rather spend this section discussing the ways that Fight Club is misunderstood by the far right. Well. What? What am I talking about? I need to take that from the top. <laughs> Good question. You know, I too often stop mid sentence. I don't wonder what you're talking about. (laughs) This fucking this I I merged two drafts together and I found the place where I merged them and it just says the same thing twice. You gotta always work in the same document. Nah. (laughs) You gotta have 35 versions in one document. Chaos. Viral and existential despair. Maximum pain. (laughs) However, I would rather spend this section discussing the ways the far right misunderstands Fight Club. But before we do that, there are a few things we have to first establish. Firstly, David Fincher and Chuck Palahniuk aren't fascists. They aren't even really alt-righters. A far right-wing reading of Fight Club is a bad reading. We know this because they have been asked about fascists and Fight Club about 10 kabillion times now and haven't given a pro-fascist answer yet. That isn't to say that their answers are great. It's some pretty milquetoast liberal bullshit by and large, but Chucky P and the Dave Meister's main political opinion is only that people should buy more copies of Fight Club. That's their funk band name. Chucky P and the Dave Meister. As an example of the kind of shit they say, Here's a quote from Chuck Palahniuk during a recent interview on his book Adjustment Day. Quote, if I write something that people can really argue about, that thing is going to be in the culture forever. For example, colon, is Fight Club good or bad? Exclamation point ellipses. I'm trying to create this dazzling spectacle that's not meant to perpetuate or generate anything. But to be a sorbet that allows you to taste the next thing. To be a little bit more present in the next thing. Chucky P's stance on that is roughly equivalent. Yeah, you know, I like to go into a movie theater and just start shouting, oh my god, he's got a gun, just to see what happens. I'm not trying to say that anyone's got a gun. I just want to get people to be present. To, To think about if someone had a gun. Yeah, and what would that do to people in a crowded space with only one or two exits at most? Let me tell you, Aaron, I tried to write a joke about the phrase, write a sorbet for a solid three or four days, and I couldn't come up with anything funnier than the phrase, write a sorbet. Yeah, I I don't know. Have you ever, I'm assuming you've read Fight Club. Yeah. Okay, have you read any of his other stuff? I've read Choke. That's the one I never read. Don't. But Write a Sorbet is a 
Yep. Yeah. That it makes sense. Only one person would write write a sorbet. He just thinks he's such a fucking special boy. He, it, it's uh you know, <laughs> I'm on track to never have this problem, but this is what happens whenever you become a famous writer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you no longer have an editor to tell you that you're being an idiot. Yeah. You're just like, hey, should we put a scene where all the children fucking it? And everyone's like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> it's unrelated Stephen King beef. <laughs> <laughs> My roast beef with, with yeah. Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> to get back on track. Okay. <laughs> one time when David Fincher was interviewed by Empire Magazine journalist Damon Wise, Damon asked him, how do you feel about the accusation that your film is an apology for fascism? Great question, Damon. <laughs> Fucking great question. Fincher responded, quote, that's just rhetoric from the unimaginative. But I love this idea that you can have fascism without offering any direction or solution. Isn't the point of fascism to say, this is the way we should be going? But this movie couldn't be further from offering any kind of solution. <laughs> End quote. It's like he too is saying, right, a sorbet, yeah. except he's going like one level lower. Because sorbet has texture, right? <laughs> yeah. What 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 Fincher is saying is this movie is shaved ice. Yeah, it's been left out in the sun and it's now just yeah, a little yeah, puddle this, of shaved ice water. This, this is shaved ice that you got from a truck in New Orleans in August. <laughs> and if you don't eat it within 30 seconds, you will have a pool of red syrup. Consume Fight Club quick, quickly or your hands will be sticky is the lesson. <laughs> yes. The complete lack of substance when asked about Nazis from the both of them is fucking staggering. However, if you can stomach it, you can get a whiff of their real opinions through this bullshit. They don't like fascism, but they don't want to say it loud enough to keep fascists from buying their movie. I get it. However, the implication should be enough to let us know that they, what they really think about all this. People who like fascism tend to say a bunch of fascist shit all the time. And while neither of these guys is great politically, they aren't doing a ton of fascist fear-mongering. They're just grifting for their art. It has unintended consequences, but they're not fascists. Although, I will say... I've read hours and hours of these two talking about Nazis, and I have definitely found a new appreciation for the big Lebowski quote, say what you will about the tenets of national socialism, dude, at least it's an ethos. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I feel like there's more of a legitimate critique yeah. in Walter Sobchak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> than there is. It's almost like the Coen brothers are really good filmmakers. Whereas David Fincher is not as good as the Coen brothers. It's almost like you could say that. Fucking That's shocking. Weird. <laughs> I wonder what gives the Coen brothers their actual ability to comment on fascism, whereas Lily White, David Fincher, <laughs> just talks about how it's fine to not have a point to your heart. Yeah, I don't know. That's so strange. 
must yeah, just yeah, be like, their God, lifestyle choices. Son of a bitch. It's so fucking annoying, man. Like, ah, oh, now you got me. So, yeah, it's like you got all the Coen brothers making really good criticisms of stuff, like the Hollywood era uh, with uh, Hail Caesar and, yeah. like, the, the, the studio system and how it treated its actors with uh, it, good movie. People say it's not good. That's because people are idiots. And then you have like the 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 Hudsucker proxy, which is a really good one. That's not seen as as much, but that's with Tim Robbins, and it's the one where this idiot invents the hula hoop out basically and just slumps his way into success. And how it's Coen Brothers are good. Coen Brothers are good. Coen Brothers are good. Oh, so. If Fincher and Palhunik aren't sympathetic to fascists, why is Tyler Durden such a fucking fascist? Well, Fight Club is satire. I know it feels overly bold to just declare that, but everyone involved in the production has also just declared that. As lead actor Ed Norton put it, we were making a satire. <laughs> I would, I, you know, I've, I've not heard this interview, but I would hope that he delivered it like in that same cadence. Yeah, yeah, just really <laughs> excited about it. Yeah. Continuing the quote, we were saying this movie is as serious about blowing up buildings as The Graduate is about fucking your mom's friend. <laughs> End quotation. <laughs> Which is just a phenomenal thing to say. Yep. <laughs> so into it. So, clearly... If Fight Club is a more modern version of The Graduate, as Ed Norton says, the biggest mistake was to not have Paul Simon do the soundtrack. Yeah. (laughs) I would have fucking loved to hear Paul Simon's title song for Fight Club. There's going to be a new release of Fight Club, and the pull quote is going to be the new version of The Graduate, quote Robert Sharkey. Yeah, that's that's my comment. (laughs) Yeah. For, the, for the 25th anniversary box set of Fight the Club. 4K Steelbook release. Oh, God. <laughs> you know it's coming. They'll stop beating that dead horse when it stops spitting out money. Yeah, no, it's never going to stop spitting out money. <laughs> but outside of any Paul Simon-related beef I have with the movie Fight Club, I want to repeat the two things we've learned real quick. One... Fincher and Palhunik weren't intentionally trying to support any ideology with their story, which means Fight Club isn't a fascist film. And two, they were making a satire. The fact that they made a satire of fascism seems almost accidental here, but we'll be talking about that some later, and it's a very (laughs) long discussion. (laughs) What I do want to talk about is what fascists have to say about this film and why it is such a great recruiting tool for evil people. To begin this, we should start by focusing on someone who takes Fight Club super seriously, despite everyone involved in the production's wishes. You're talking about everyone I went to school with? Yes, exactly. Everyone, everyone, we're, yeah, we're now not yeah. too close from people Aaron went to high school with. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about a little cupcake of a fella named Chris Cantu. Do you know Chris Cantu? Yeah, I know Chris Cantwell, but that's not the same guy. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same guy. Okay, well, I mean, you're going to say this person and be like, oh, yeah, I know the type at least. Yeah. 
Chris Cantu is a B-level men's rights grifter from the men going their own way movement. Oh, these guys. Yeah. He writes shit articles about being a lone wolf and how tofu is turning us all into lady boys. <laughs> That's as good as the fr- they're turning the frogs gay. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> he also sells a bunch of supplements on his site in case you weren't feeling masculine enough today. <laughs> Which I'm sure have no lead in them. <laughs> yeah, you know, as I was walking down the street, you know, earlier I was I saw his I can't I don't know what the fuck people say. I don't know what, <laughs> what these guys say. I was gonna be like, yeah, I saw a crow and I ripped off its head, but I'm like, I don't know if that's weird enough. <laughs> You'll never make it in the men going their own way movement at this rate, Aaron. Absolutely will not. This is one hundred percent true. Life's a dream is shattered. <laughs> so just a real quick shout out to Tofu and Lady Boys, both of whom I am a big fan of. <laughs> but moving on because chris is a men's rights grifter we're going to be exploring his relationship to the movie from the lens of men's rights activism but just know yeah yeah fun stuff but just know that chris's reading issues aren't confined to his horrible political opinions a diverse rainbow of far-right ideologies seem to have chris's same reading issues with this movie <laughs> Chris's are all-purpose fascist. So that, that's, our, that's our insert here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For further reading, consult. Yeah. Just any of the thousand articles where Nazis talk about Fight Club. So you can pretend Chris is an incel or a Nazi or a MAGA type or your best friend from high school who you don't talk to anymore who thinks Mexican people are destroying the white race by moving to America. Chris's inability to read is truly universal to all of them. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Sadly looks off into the foreground. <laughs> this, I'm, this, this might as well be the name of the podcast. Is Sadly looks off into the foreground. Yeah. <laughs> Thousand yard stare at the podcast. See, Chris can't understand that Fight Club is satire because Chris doesn't understand that stories have an arc. Chris was once interviewed for a Vice article about Fight Club and men's rights activists where he makes this problem abundantly clear. In it, he says, quote, if you were just fed up with the current situation, you would just band together with a couple guys who are like-minded and just start a revolution. End quote for now. But see, I don't hate this quote too much. Chris isn't completely wrong to love Tyler or what Tyler is doing. Fight Club was meant to be a conversation and a satire about toxic masculinity. To do that effectively, you do need to be somewhat sympathetic to Tyler's points. And the issues in the narrator's life needed to be something we all can understand. Chris is following all of that, and he's sympathizing with the issues, acknowledging even that modern masculinity needs to be changed. So way to interact with the work, Chris. One gold star for my special boy. (laughs) But then Chris says, quote, and starting a revolution is what they did in that film. I think that a lot of guys are thinking along the same lines as Tyler Durden. But for so long, just because of the political correctness, 
environment have been afraid to speak out. And quote, see, Chris, now you're losing the thread. We were doing so good. Now Chris is letting us in on the fact that Tyler was right all along. He has stopped viewing Fight Club as a conversation on masculinity and is instead taking answers from the book, which is expressly what the creators didn't want him to do. But wait, I can hear Chris say in my imagination as he unfurls his literature PhD. I'm, I'm sorry that you have him living in your brain. Yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. Imaginary, Chris says, the author isn't the final arbiter of their own work. We are allowed to disagree with authorial intent. That is a staple of modern literary critique. Don't you know about the death of the author? Your tools for literary analysis are mad outdated, bro. <laughs> this is what I imagine Chris Cantu would say. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. Yeah, I think I nailed him. Yeah, he's been spending time in grad classes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's just really into, like, in-depth analyses of Jane Austen and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> no Jane Austen. Oh, Jane Austen. Good job, Chris. One more gold star. While I don't love your point, the author's opinions on Tyler Durden aren't the final opinion. To be clear to everyone listening, this is... Robert giving imaginary Chris another gold imaginary Chris. Yeah, I've I've given the Chris I imagine with the PhD in literature two gold stars. Yes. Um, (laughs) So you can like Tyler Durden. The death of the author is a thing as long as the rest of your critique of Fight Club is founded in well-documented analysis, which I'm sure it will be, Chris. I have no problems. (laughs) Chris keeps going. The only problem with Fight Club is its Hollywood ending. (laughs) (laughs) The only problem. (laughs) Just like the Hollywood ending, just buildings being blown up in the in the background as the pixies play. Somewhere, it's somewhere in some alternate dimension. Cary Grant is like watching this movie on a screening and just going, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Continuing his quote, I think in true red pill fashion, it would have ended with Ed Norton throwing Marla to the side. <laughs> oh, she's what we call a quote pump and dump unquote. Oh my. Jesus. And Chris can't do quotation. So you, Chris. (laughs) So, all right. I'd like to interject. I've been playing a lot of Disco Elysium again. (laughs) And uh, a friend of mine was was playing the game a completely different way than I play. Like, I usually, because I'm unimaginative, I always play RPGs like smart dude. (laughs) <laughs> with a smart dude who is good at perceiving things and he was going at it with like impulsive reckless and crazy and he basically turned his character into a men's right men's rights activist yes. who was referring to a a third like a, a third rank third run character just off to the side as as a woman who is writing the quote cock carousel oh, <laughs> unquote <laughs> and he 
basically his character turned another character into an incel. <laughs> but it just it, and it sounds like these two would have a lot in common. Yeah, they really got along. <laughs> so I'm officially rescinding all of Chris's stars for the phrase pump and dump. Yeah, good. It's gross, he's gross, and he's no longer my special boy. Not even the Chris I imagine in my head. <laughs> but you've officially heard it here, Aaron. The only thing wrong with Fight Club is the ending. That's the only thing wrong. Is... No, it's not just the ending. It's the Let's Hollywood be clear ending. About it. okay, it's the Hollywood ending. <laughs> Which is just a wild thing to say. This book is like a Bible to Chris, and he hates the conclusion it comes to. He doesn't like the ending because it reveals that everything he loved about the movie was clearly a sham. Tyler was imagined. Project Mayhem was intellectually vacant. Marla should have been treated better. All the shit he hates was the ending of Fight Club. And he calls the ending Hollywood. Maybe he's right about that. But the ending is the part of the film that tries to make sure Fight Club is a satire and not Chris's holy text. And Chris just totally writes that off, ignores that it even exists. The ending is the whole fucking thing that makes the movie into what it is, you stupid goblin. <laughs> so are, do you, do, are we going to be talking about how challenging it is to go into satire? about the right wing. Yeah, that's okay. that's a coming. I will hold my conversation my comments to that point then. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is why far right leaders love this movie though. Most of Fight Club is pretty bland and forgettable. But the one thing that isn't is Tyler Durden. Because Tyler is far and away the most compelling part of the whole flick. Watchers have a tendency to push aside everything else about the movie. We don't need to think about Jack and Marla's relationship. It's just window dressing for cool Tyler speeches, right? It's the sprinkles on the sorbet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Chris and people like Chris can take a movie that was supposed to make them interact with their assumptions, perhaps grow a little, and then instead use it to do the exact opposite. For example, Chris might have questioned both male leads' relationship to Marla. Maybe learn something. But Chris just sees that Tyler's an alpha and knew what to do with a woman like Marla, and Jack is a beta and doesn't. Jack's a beta. Jack's a fucking beta. Yep. (laughs) And he couldn't think that Fight Club could have a different opinion than that because Tyler's so fucking cool. It's, so for when I was, you you are one hundred percent correct in this this stupid analysis that the, that these people have, and this is like where I remembered what like first. I don't. I, I didn't get into Fight Club, but I watched it, and it was like right there with Snatch. <laughs> and if you've never seen Snatch, it's a movie that I liked a lot in high school and college. And do not want to rewatch because I remember enjoying it a lot. Yeah. But it it also has Brad Pitt in a fighting role. <laughs> and he's playing a traveler. And he's a good like bare knuckle boxer and everything. But it is definitely a thing with the with this kind of of 
really well shot, well, 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 uh, I was going to say photographed, but I don't want to sound like a pretentious film dude, <laughs> a well shot movie where you can lose the substance of a, of what commentary is being made in the film because everyone looks so well shot. Yeah. And it's this, it's the Brad Pitt effect. Especially in these two movies, Snatch and Fight Club. Like, there's a lot of... I don't know, yeah, Snatch is just a weird one. Really fucking weird movie. I don't want to rewatch it, but I'm going to rewatch it, and yeah. then I'm going to feel bad about myself. I don't remember where I was going with this. High school, high schoolers are idiots. I think that was where I was going with this, but now I'm thinking about Snatch a lot, so you should move on. <laughs> <laughs> so... You can have great readings of works that authors didn't intend, obviously, but you can't have a valid reading of a work that the author explicitly didn't intend and clearly wrote out of their work, like happened in Fight Club. Postmodernism can only go so far, Chris, as I'm sure you would tell me. <laughs> Your multiple PhDs. Yeah. But the truth is, I don't really blame Chris for all of this. He isn't actually a literature nerd, despite his erudite points as my straw man. And he isn't well-versed in satire. He runs a blog about being an alpha wolf and drinking protein smoothies. <laughs> I don't expect him to spend a ton of time thinking about all this. He is just a casualty of the satire genre. Some people are going to miss the point. That shit happens. And it happens a lot with Fight Club. People don't reflect carefully on this work because the aesthetic of Tyler is so appealing and having to look at your own toxic masculinity just isn't. Like you're saying, he's shot cool. What the fuck else do we have to do? Like we didn't come to Fight Club because it's Werner Herzog. Yeah. We came to look at it be coolly shot. We came to look at sweaty dudes just touching each other. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I don't see what that says about anything. I just want to see dudes touching each other. Back off. <laughs> Why am I getting it defensive? I'm not getting defensive. You're getting offensive. About what? I don't know. Hey, fuck you. No homo. <laughs> <laughs> no homo. <laughs> Anyone who says that phrase, you get knife missile TMCR. <laughs> Do people still say that? I run into it a lot in the online's um, most toxic community league of legends oh yeah well that's because you really hate yourself yes and and don't do what i do which is refuse to play multiplayer games great choice <laughs> yeah i learned my lesson with wow yeah <laughs> i i get to play online multiplayer games because i am neither a woman nor a minority <laughs> of any kind <laughs> But well, it sounds I mean, like a bummer otherwise. I, it, well, it, it's the thing that you run into just even if you like don't say anything about yourself. And if your your screen name is just completely bland, it doesn't matter. You will be walking around like uh, what was Stormwind, I think, was the, the hub. In Not WoW. Storm in the name. <laughs> it was the well all right <laughs> god no what was it orgrimmar that's right because i played horde because i like that they had trolls as the <laughs> trolls were jamaican and walking around orgrimmar and uh all of a sudden you'll just see nothing but slurs oh no yeah don't like 
do not like. However, there is a much darker thing going on here with the far right and fight club. I don't think it's just that people like Chris misunderstand it. There are people like Andrew Anglin, editor of the Daily Stormer, like we talked about earlier. Anglin, I think, knows that Tyler is the butt of the joke in Fight Club. He's not an idiot. He doesn't write a blog about being an alpha wolf. (laughs) (laughs) This is the bar. Good Lord, I do wish Andrew Anglin wrote a blog about being an alpha wolf instead of the other (laughs) blogs he writes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he pushes this movie hoping to prey on folks like Chris. Folks a little less interested in spending time thinking about all these things. Andrew Anglin has a very particular agenda, and his favorite movie is just one small part of bringing about a world safe for Nazis. Does this agenda involve finding solutions to problems? <laughs> Just solutions that permanently end the, like a, like a okay. ending solution, if you will. Oh, an ending solution. Ultimate? 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 Yeah. Yeah. Ultimate answer? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll workshop it. Yeah, we'll workshop that one. <laughs> it could be catchier. Yeah. So uh, what's Andy's agenda here? Well, to understand that, I think we have to get into the dark history of far-right literature. This is the section where there are no jokes. (laughs) I will make there be jokes. (laughs) It's just a full factory of sadness for four pages or something. When are we going to talk about the producers? That's what I want to know. Yeah. (laughs) I I rewatched it after you talked about it, and that fucking scene where they find the Nazi at the pigeon coop, and he starts oh. just reciting the pledge and singing "America." It's like my god, <laughs> that's right. I loved it. I'm not a Nazi. I was just following orders. <laughs> I oh think god, that scene is so fucking so good, though. Fucking funny. Like he's just got the bird shit all over him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's still in the helmet. Yeah, he's still got the stall helm, and he's just oh, it's so fucking funny. So good. And uh, it's got later on in the movie. It's one of my favorite lines ever written, where they're talking about uh, having him just shoot the actors. Yeah. And Leo says, Max, you can't do that. They're they're human beings. He goes, Are they? Have you ever eaten with them? Yes. <laughs> oh God. Okay. All right, let's get into the misery. Part three. We're all snowflakes. Counterintuitively, I don't think it is just the overt violence or even the fascism of Durden or how much we all want to touch Brad Pitt's dirty, grimy abs that makes fascists love this movie. I think what really makes them fall in love is Fight Club's big twist. It's the idea that Tyler is Jack all along. As we have said before, it's a bad twist. It's unbelievable. It's unrealistic. And again, it creates plot holes so big they have their own event horizon. We're talking about the movie with Sam Neill where he rips out his own eyes, right? Yes. <laughs> Inside Fight Club are many movies 
other than Horizon. Yeah, okay. But the idea that middle-aged office losers have a dangerous, violent radical inside them is one of the core pieces of far-right doctrine. Turning office drones into masculine soldiers is the core of all fascist propaganda. Jack is this pathetic loser before he meets Tyler. He hates himself. He hates his job. He hates late-stage capitalism. And everyone hates him. But then Tyler overwhelms his personality. And this mild-mannered loser was suddenly the kind of figure who could fuck real good and spawn a national terror campaign. Which is my Tinder profile. Um... (laughs) (laughs) I thought you said there would be no jokes. that's, That's my one joke. Ah, okay. (laughs) It's my one joke in between talking about the Turner Diaries, which is coming up here. Oh, good. (laughs) For once, Jack's a free man. He's worshipped. He's macho. He's late 90s Brad Pitt building bombs and making decorative soaps. He's taken back his masculinity. Tyler's violent narcissism sets Jack free from the horrors of the modern world. But this idea isn't just fiction. Average white dudes having a violent sociopath buried deep inside is a reality everyone in America understands very well. Ever heard of Elliot Roger, Tim McVeigh, Dylan Roof? All average white dudes until they let out their inner far-right terrorist. But before we get into the specifics of these far-right mass murderers, we need to talk about the fact that America is just one long right-wing terror campaign from 1492 until now. And we can't even begin to get into all of that in a meaningful way. It's 500 years of history, covering everything from native genocide and black slavery to radio preacher Charles Coughlin inciting pogroms in Boston, the Ku Klux Klan, the fact that cops just kill anyone they want to. American booned. Yeah, yeah. Most presidents. <laughs> Most presidents. CIA. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure the Park Service did something. Uh, I'm well. I mean, you could very easily argue that national parks are built on the bones of indigenous people. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, you know, everyone who has a sticker that says the mountains are calling and I must go on your your $80 thermos, just remember that. Yeah. <laughs> As you're hiking around Dog Mountain or Yosemite, just remember that. People used to live here. On your, yeah, people, put that on your Instagram, bro, your hashtags. <laughs> Hip with the kids today, I see, Aaron. <laughs> For a while, my Instagram was nothing but pictures, like, close-ups of my eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, those were the good days. We should do that again. Put that on your hashtags as a shirt we need to make. Yep. <laughs> Put that on your hashtags. <laughs> oh. So, in short, there's a lot of far-right literature and philosophy we could talk about as relevant context to Fight Club. We just don't have the time to get into all of it. In an effort to dive in somewhere, I'm choosing 1989. 
Okay. Just know that America was full of right-wing death squads long before then and also loved a lot of shitty books at, the, at those times. Right-wing terror is America's greatest and most storied intellectual tradition. Why am I diving in at 1989? Well, Hunter by William Luther Pierce was published in 1989. Do you know, know about Hunter? Yeah, I know about Hunter. Yeah. It's not good. None of this is good. No. I would like to voice my uh, discontent with this section. <laughs> the fact that I'm now telling you about Hunter? <laughs> that, yes. <laughs> if you haven't heard about Hunter, you might have heard of William Luther Pierce's most popular first book, The Turner Diaries. Hunter is a slightly more underground work than the Turner Diaries. It's really for the hipster Nazis. Yeah, there we go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's the vinyl record version of the Turner Diaries. If you don't know anything about William Luther Pierce, Hunter, or the Turner Diaries, I am genuinely sorry that I'm going to ruin that for you now. Pierce is probably the most successful Nazi propagandist since Goebbels and Julius Stryker were working for the Third Reich. He believes in race war and murder and terrorism, all to bring about the fascist takeover of the U.S. for the white race. And not like modern white, like no Jews and Italians white. <laughs> Classic white. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Classic white. Yeah, no off-whites. No, it's like the, Scot the Scottish are barely accepted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Irish are right out. Yeah, Irish are fucking gone. Yeah. He's like the kind of guy who's not a fan of Catholics. Yeah, he's like, the Austrians are too too much of free thinkers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is an incredibly unpleasant man. Was an incredibly unpleasant man, thank God. Yay! <laughs> yeah. So while the Turner Diaries had a much larger impact on American culture, I want to focus on the book Hunter, because Hunter paints an equally terrifying and far more realistic picture of right-wing terrorism. In Hunter, Pierce tells the story of Oscar Jaeger, which is German for Hunter, in case you were wondering if Pierce is a fucking LARPer. <laughs> Absolute loser. <laughs> Jaeger sets out on a lone wolf terrorist campaign by murdering interracial couples in the D.C. area. My, my question is, uh, is he a lone alpha wolf? Yeah, lone alpha wolf, Oscar Jaeger. Sigma wolf. <laughs> Sigma wolf, Jesus. <laughs> As the book goes on, Jaeger escalates to killing politicians and journalists that he feels are promoting race mixing. The book, of course, ends with Jaeger fighting the government in an effort to free the United States from the Jews and, of course, black <laughs> people. Because when I think of two groups to control the federal government, I think the Jews and black people. <laughs> yep, that's it. Yep. <laughs> it's why you have uh, a long story tradition of presidents who really like Jews, like Nixon, who <laughs> never went on racist tirades about everyone, including the Jews. Yeah. All Never. U.S. presidents, big fans of Jewish people. Yeah. <laughs> Never planned their own concentration camps. Nope. Never. Nope. <laughs> that's unheard of. That's only, that's things only 
only Hitler did. Yeah. You know, yeah. We'll hear, not hear otherwise. Yep. That's just good <laughs> history science. <laughs> yep. Historisch Wissenschaft. Ich bin ein stark Amerikaner. Abolish German. <laughs> That's a good political platform. <laughs> As president, I will abolish German. Yeah, no, the one language I, I can erase. You, you would have had a very strong campaign in like 1918. Yeah, it would have been fucking great. Running yeah. for British Parliament in 1918. Yeah. That was my sweet spot. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> right up there in the heartland of America, going around uh, cities and like the Midwest, going, "Why are you speaking German? Yeah. <laughs> are you one of the Kaiser's men? <laughs> we don't let Huns in Dayton, Ohio." <laughs> <laughs> so I can't clarify enough, though, that Jaeger is the hero of Hunter. It's not a joke. He's not like an anti-hero. He's the good guy in Hunter. Because Hunter's just straight Nazi propaganda. A right-wing man taking a violent stand against his political enemies by picking up a gun and murdering random civilians for race and nation. Ring any bells, uh, Aaron? Have you heard a story like this before anywhere? Never heard of anything like that. I certainly have never heard of anything like falling down with Michael Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> or any number of other films about anyone snapping and starting to murder the filth like uh, <laughs> Death Wish Death Wish 2 Death Wish 3 <laughs> or any other like Lethal Weapon I'm pretty sure has stuff like that anything set in it's an action movie set in 1970s New York never has anything like that either uh, Taxi Driver now well, in those movies' defense, 1970s New York was seven, so... <laughs> it was seven on every corner. Yeah. Heads on boxes for every hundredth customer. <laughs> you, went the, it, you went the movie angle, which is even more uplifting than I planned, because I'm thinking of all of the real-life Oscar Jaegers well, that we know very well. well. Yeah. Thousand yard stairs. Yeah, thousand yard stairs into the foreground. <laughs> See, the American far right movement isn't like Al Qaeda. It isn't a large group of people with resources and cells. It doesn't have meetings or cool clothes. It doesn't have compounds or government money. Just a quick note from Editing Bay Shark. Um, Al Qaeda also doesn't have any of that stuff. It's like largely a government conspiracy to justify the war on terror. I just wouldn't feel good putting this into the podcast if that was in there because Al Qaeda largely an FBI hoax to drum up fear of people in the Middle East. So not a real thing. Uh, thanks. Sorry for the interruption. The modern far right is gig economy terror. It's based on random people doing what looks like random acts of violence and having as little connection to each other as possible. Earlier you had this reaction to write write the sorbet. Yeah. Gig economy terror is my version of that. This is what Elon Musk wants. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was very pleased with writing the phrase gig economy terror. Oh, God. It's not good. <laughs> no. 
and its diffuseness is exactly what makes it impossible to stand to stamp out. It gives the people who incite the violence complete deniability. See, when Tim McVeigh bombed a federal building in Oklahoma, killing or injuring over 700 people, his attack was ripped straight from the pages of the Turner Diaries. He even cited the book as his inspiration. But because of the plausible deniability of gig economy terror, William Luther Pierce was in the clear. He didn't directly tell McVeigh to do it. So we all just shrugged and let him walk away. He wrote a shitty book. You can't send him to jail for a shitty book, right? Is there a quote from him saying that he was just writing sorbet? I was just, I was just trying to make, just trying to sorbet Timothy McVeigh a little. Yeah. <laughs> McVeigh sorbet. McVeigh sorbet. Now at McDonald's. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Not available in Oklahoma. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> Oof. <laughs> <laughs> But not being accountable is never that simple. Pierce's words had consequences. Robert Bowers murdered 11 people at a Pittsburgh synagogue. Dylan Roof killed nine people at a black church in South Carolina. Brenton Tarrant killed 51 in Christchurch, New Zealand. All of these men said that they did so for race and nation. All of them are intellectual descendants of William Luther Pierce. And if you start reading the manifestos of most mass shooters, you will find a fairly homogenous group of people, right-wing white men. And these men are almost all descendants of William Luther Pierce. Sometimes they know about Pierce like McVeigh did. Sometimes they are inspired by people who were inspired by Pierce like the Columbine shooters were, who love Timothy T. McVeigh. They talked about beating his high score in their manifesto. <laughs> there's a there's a family connection to those guys, actually. My uncle provided a defense for their parents. Oh, no shit. Yeah, he was he's a really good attorney. And uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I, I've never that's one of those things where I don't want to be like, Hey Mike, what do you, what do you think about these things? Cause I don't know. I, I know he doesn't agree with them and he sure as hell is not a white supremacist. Yeah. And uh, there's only so many times you can say, well, everyone should have the right to a fair trial <laughs> <laughs> before your eyes roll back in your head. Yeah. But it's uh, there, there's someone else was talking about this recently and it was in connection to, that was it. They were they were really into Rammstein or mm -hmm. Rammstein. And uh, Rammstein, almost in response to everyone constantly asking them if they were Nazis, uh, put out like a video called uh, translated is like my heart is on the left, mm. like talking about their politics. And. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh uh, the right is people these people are really bad at latching onto art because it's almost like they don't have good art yeah they don't have art of their own <laughs> yeah oh my god didn't we do an episode about that we did <laughs> <laughs> yeah. go ahead so, keep keep hitting us with the pain all of these men were moved to actions by pierce's words 
to the same extent that concentration camp guards were called to action by Joseph Goebbels. All of these men agreed with Pierce that the modern world was toxic, emasculating, and nihilistic. Then Pierce told them that they needed to get their power back by becoming a one-man war against the system that oppresses them. So they did, just like Oscar Jaeger. Any of that rhetoric sound familiar? No, none. No, this is, I am a completely blank slate. Blank slate. Well, it might sound familiar to you, listener, because it's not that different from any of the speeches Tyler Durden gave. Pierce's words are more racist, but the philosophy is the exact same. Violence is freedom. War brings peace. Take back your fragile masculinity from a modern world that turns you into a powerless office drone. However, Palhunik isn't Pierce. He didn't set out to write Nazi propaganda. Palhunik was mocking Durden, while Pierce is glorifying Jaeger. And yet, Andrew Anglin loves Fight Club. He says this because he knows there isn't a functional difference between Durden and Jaeger. Let's go back to Chris and the tens of thousands of men like him. People who have been broken down by modern society. People who have recognized how deeply fucked the world is today and are looking for a way to fix it. What Tyler tells them is that they can fix it through violence. He says that if you want to save yourself, just get together with a bunch of buddies and start a revolution, right? Violence, if applied correctly, can save the world, is Tyler's pitch. Go bomb those credit card buildings. Exactly. (laughs) Fight Club is a primer, a starting place for people's path toward radical violence. Anglin knows that. If you're the kind of person that loves what Tyler Durden has to say about violence and about masculinity, then you're the kind of person who also loves what Hunter has to say about violence and masculinity. You've already cleared the high hurdle. With time and careful effort, people like Anglin can help you be brought along to the other points in Hunter. Loving the worst parts of Fight Club is what allows the worst people in the world to identify you as a person who can be radicalized to the far right. And it begins the process of your radicalization. It's a gateway book to Hunter. And Ang- Andrew Anglin fucking loves that about it. Even David Fincher knew about this problem. One time during a panel, he said, my daughter had a friend named Max. She told me Fight Club is his favorite movie. I told her never to talk to Max again. (laughs) (laughs) That is the only appropriate answer. Yep. (laughs) If you love Fight Club, the director of Fight Club knows you might do some truly horrifying shit. Yeah, it's, it's the pipeline thing. And um, there was it, right around uh, the start of the year with the the riot in D.C., insurrection, whatever you want to call it, uh, there was like all of the chatter going around on right-wing telegram with the Nazis uh, starting to infiltrate shit like QAnon groups or anti-vax movements because those were the natural recruitment pools mm-hmm. for them and uh it, you know now I, I feel like now we'll probably get into it later but i feel like now the 
natural starting point isn't necessarily Fight Club, but it is the memes. Yeah. Yeah, no, me, yeah. Nazis are incredibly good at finding these things where people who can be sucked into those kind of ideologies, like, congregate. Yep. And then bringing them along slowly. Yep. It's not great. Yep. Yep. Not not good. Not good stuff. Seconded. Seconded. VVV bad. Yep. So if Fincher and Palhunik weren't setting out to write Nazi propaganda, but instead to satirize it, why did they fail so utterly? My pitch is that it's because fascism is immune to satire. See, the problem is that there are only three real reactions to satires of fascism. The first reaction, which I think we both have, is, of course fascism is bad. Look at these fucking clowns. The second reaction is Andrew Anglin's. Of course fascism is good. Look at the masculine hero of this piece. The left is just too blind to see how great he truly is. And then there's the third reaction, the really scary one. The, I understand this might be satire, and I can laugh at the main character. But I think he has some good points. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid, but have you considered? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, reaction one, we don't really need to discuss. It's the one most people have. Reaction two really doesn't need to be discussed either. Those people are fucking monsters. Load them in a rocket and shoot them into the sun. <laughs> That's that's the sound rockets make. Right, yeah, right. The, yeah. the famed Bew rockets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those people read fucking books like Hunter and go, yep, Oscar Yeager's the hero, or they write Work Will Set You Free on Gates of Death Camps. Those guys go, <laughs> don't get to do anything. Shoot nope. them into the sun. <laughs> Shoot them into the sun. Don't debate them in the marketplace of ideas. Fuck no, never debate them in the marketplace of ideas. <laughs> Just shoot them into the sun. <laughs> the third reaction is the one we should all be very worried about, though. Reaction three will happen no matter how good the author is at making satire. There will always be people who see past the work's intention and look at the politics of the characters. People will always be more drawn to Durden than to thinking carefully about the politics of Fight Club because Durden is fucking compelling. He's cool. And that's the problem with the way satire specifically interacts with fascism. See, whenever you make a satire that isn't just shameless slapstick dogpiling, you have to make the audience spend some time understanding the philosophy you're trying to satirize. That's why we spend so much time with Tyler. Because when you reject him at the end, you want to understand what you're rejecting. However, fascism is an ideology built entirely on aesthetics. The point is to look cool and feel badass. That's why it's so focused on hyper-masculine bullshit. The granddaddy of fascism said it best. He was a man named Gabriel D'Annunzio. And during his first attempt at politics, he ran as the candidate for beauty. <laughs> Big writing a sorbet energy from Gabrielle Benizio. 
this is another reason you can never I, well I'll, uh, i got a rant stored up for it but one reason why it's so hard to satirize this stuff is they do shit like run themselves as the candidate of beauty yeah <laughs> yep it's beyond <laughs> or, parody or, or feel the need to couch their uh, horrible ideas in scientific racism oh. by measuring the cranium of the lower races <laughs> when we will have shots because we are all Wissenschaft in philosophers. <laughs> we have a great liebe for knowledge. <laughs> we will prove this through charts. These fucking guys. <laughs> While he was running as the candidate for beauty, he said he wanted to bring about a politics of poetry. Oh, fuck my life. <laughs> <laughs> He's like that because fascism is, at its core, about looking cool before everything else. It always has been. That's why the Nazis had one of the most recognizable aesthetics of all time. Hugo Boss. Yep, fucking Mercedes, triumph of the will, like they look fucking cool. Giant fuck-off stadiums. Yep, yeah. They're all about looking cool because that's the only political point they have. Fascism is at its core something that can't be satirized because you won't change the mind of a fascist, but you will sometimes make a non-fascist like fascism simply because you expose them to the character. That's Tyler Durden in a nutshell. He looks cool because he does fascism. And those two things together push people like Chris toward fascism. So in short, Tyler Durden makes you more able to swallow a pill of a character like Oscar Yeager. So here we are, Aaron, at the end of the podcast. What do you think? You say that, but I've got like an hour worth of ranting in me. So yeah, here we are at the end of my script. So do you think we should just laugh along with Fight Club or SNL mocking Donald Trump? Or do you think satirizing fascism is missing both the point of satire and fascism? Oh, you you son of a bitch. You got to bring up fucking SNL. Yeah. Just, uh. So, yeah, like there, there's... In the before times, I used to kind of follow writer Twitter a lot. And one of the the, discuss, the debates that was happening a lot, especially around Trump getting his rise to uh, power, was whether or not satire is dead. And whether or not it's responsible to satirize anything because of exactly what you've been arguing. And I think there's something to that, but you have it, it part of the problem with a lot of like American humor, especially, I mean, English is very, very like English shows tend to be drier than American shows. Mm-hmm. But speaking in the American context, uh, we were very dumb and <laughs> subtlety does not work. So you get, you get shit like SNL where Alec Baldwin pulls a stupid face and doesn't really sound like Trump, 
but everyone knows he's being Trump because he's got the hair and it's on SNL and they do stupid political commentary. (laughs) And it's uh, very annoying and stupid. And I hate it. But, oh God, David S. Pumpkins. Why is that a big thing with people? I don't get that fucking shit either. Anyway, so the, oh God, that's so stupid. Um, But the, the, in my estimation, and this might be just me having my own view on things, satire isn't necessarily, should not necessarily be used as a tool to convince people of a certain perspective. Like the, the thing that, you know, if you want to look at classical literature, not classical, but in the Western canon, like a modest proposal is not going to convince anyone that English policy is wrong and should be reformed. It is Jonathan Swift being very angry and being very clever in writing why he thinks it is very wrong and should be reformed. Yeah. Um, And it, it gets really, really tricky with fascism, again, for all of the reasons that you put forward. Um, I, I do, I I think there is a proper way to satirize right-wing and fascist perspectives. And it is not by means of Fight Club because Fight Club is directed by David Fincher, who is a commercial director, who is very good at lighting things. And he is very good at shooting things and is very good at writing things that look cool, which just feeds fuel into fascism as we've established in this podcast the proper way to satirize these people is like the producers where you have a character who is so obviously insane and incapable of being a human being or interacting with people that he lives on a roof of a tenement (laughs) and tends to the birds who just constantly shit on him (laughs) and writes plays called springtime for Hitler. (laughs) And this is the only way to satirize a character. And I think the producers works on like that level. And it also works on another level of saying this is why people fall for this shit is because people are easily susceptible to bright lights and shiny objects. Yeah. Because if you've seen the movie, what happens? The audience turns up loving the, loving the play because it's got dancing girls walking around in a swastika on stage and people think it's brilliant. <laughs> and instead of just the trash that it is. And I was rewatching the producers after you talked about it. And I was draw. I was thinking of the scene, the the old one, obviously, not the one with Matthew Broderick. And- Although, I mean, two like, and this is, I'm, I don't think the new one, the new version, is bad. It's got some good bits in it, and like the songs are pretty okay. It's one of like the three musicals I like, along with Fiddler on the Roof and Avenue Q. Which Avenue Q is one of those things that I think back on now. I'm like, ah, it's maybe I should leave that one off the list, but I'm going to leave that on the list for now. But yeah, like there's some good songs in there. Like I want to be a producer is great because it really captures the the hellscape of working in an open office setting. But continue. (laughs) Yeah. And when they're doing springtime for Hitler, 
it's cutting to Gene Wilder just pointing and laughing and like being excited the more horrified the audience gets. And yeah. it's like and, guiding and, the reaction of the viewer. Yeah, and ma- and matching the the equally delighted look that only Zero Macell yeah. can just sum it up as Max Bialystok, the ultimate grifter of Broadway. <laughs> yeah, it's such a fucking good... Yeah, no, and this gets into, like, the two genres of satire I was thinking a lot about when writing this, one being the Fight Club satire, which yeah. is presented as a serious piece trying to, like, reflect on something, and the other being the shameless dogpiling of a really smart person that has no intent to change anyone's mind. Yeah, it's a, it, it's not quite farce. Yeah. But it's closer to farce than it is, I don't know, art. Yeah, I think of, like, you said Modest Proposal or The Producers. I also think of Gulliver's Travels is another great instance from, yeah. like, The Canon or whatever the fuck you want to say. Jonathan Swift. Yeah, also Jonathan Swift. And it's just like when someone wants to shamelessly shit on a group of people, that is a good counter to fascism because making them look silly works. Yeah, and if you you try to give credence to them by, say, engaging them in an honest discussion, you're going to lose. Yeah. And the only... You can, can like, successfully counter their points to your heart's content and to any logical person you may win but all it takes for these people to win is to gain one new person yeah and if you gave it any kind of of serious weight which the producers is not doing then they're going to win it's like how you have occasionally uh like ancient aliens people will demand to be debated on a stage so that they can have their say and some idiot like Richard Dawkins will take them on it because he's a fucking imbecile <laughs> and like they'll be like it just they uh so I think it was so a lot of what you're talking about what we've been talking about today I was thinking of uh, another podcast called I don't speak German which a few years ago came out with an episode about Fight Club and they were talking about similar to what we're talking about now, like how you cannot win in a debate because these people think about these things a lot more than you do. Mm-hmm. And they will always have some other point. Yeah. And eventually they're going to catch you off guard and you'll stumble. And they'll be like, aha, do you see? Do you see? The modern society cannot answer me. I have the truth. I was one time talking to someone who believed the earth was flat, which was a whole ass experience. Holy God. (laughs) And like, my physics is decent. And I kept like answering these questions, but then he once hit me with some math about like the sun being a certain distance from the earth and how that would, and it's like, I don't fucking know, dude. And he was like, see, you don't know science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you don't either. Yeah, like, like, you just spend a lot of time on YouTube, man. Yeah. yeah, and they put, like you're saying, they put the burden of evidence on you, and they just keep poking and keep prodding and keep asking questions until eventually you're stumped because your brain is a finite resource. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I don't think the answer to this is to not satirize anything. 
Because I, I think there's a lot of joy that can be taken in satire. And there's a lot of good stuff that you can make if you're going at it from the proper perspective, which is you're not going to convince anyone of this. Don't even try to be clever. I mean, you yeah, be clever about it, but don't like try to present it as a quote unquote argument or something. Yeah. Just dogpile. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the problems I have with SNL is it's not smart. It's not clever. It's just common denominator, their lowest common denominator shit that also has Elon Musk on. What the fuck are you doing watching this goddamn show? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, oh, God, Elon Musk. Anyway, so, like, part of the problem is it's just, it's just stupid as shit, man. And there's nothing new being said. And they don't have the chutzpah to actually properly dogpile these people. Like, they're not going to have... Alec Baldwin dressed as Hitler, but being shit on, like physically actually being shit on by someone, which is what needs to happen. The whole time and, I was writing this, I thought about an SNL bit I saw recently that was like legitimately kind of funny, but the bit was titled Blue Georgia. And it was about okay. like a bunch of people who had on like an extra Southern affect, like deliverance style. Yeah, just saying like liberal talking points when a MAGA person entered town, it was yeah. shit. Like you can't be around here, boy, if you don't support the transgenders. Like <laughs> it's kind of that's all right. It's kind of funny, but <laughs> yeah. the, the crux of the bit was like that the South. Now that Georgia had voted for Joe Biden, it the joke can be that Georgia is left wing. Yeah, And I think that that's like exactly the thing we're talking about. They're like taking the cheap shots, the low hanging fruit yeah. and saying that it's serious satire. Yeah. Which is and the real I, fear. Like they're not shamelessly dogpiling enough and they're not being clever enough. Yeah. I would think like, if you want to do a bit about blue Georgia, then maybe have people moving from Atlanta going into the rural parts and like having them dogpile on the assholes who did vote for Trump. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, it, they, they did. I know SNL did a, a similar bit a while ago about, um, I can't even remember, but it was like a similar thing of a bunch of, a bunch of people with very heavy Southern accents talking about how great it is to be a Democrat. And yeah. just, it, 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 it's the, the find and replace shtick, which is, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I and I, I will say there was another SNL sketch that I did like that was several years ago and it was uh, at a wedding reception and it was when Dave Grohl was hosting mm -hmm. or he was a music guest I think and then like Ashton Kutcher was hosting or something but it was a music reception and this couple like the this, the new wife's dad was on stage and he's like hey you know i i hope we don't embarrass you too much but i wanted to get the band back together and you know play you a, play you a song just to you know show you that your dad's still cool and she's like ah yeah all right play and so his, his band started playing like hardcore punk from the 70s <laughs> <laughs> about like getting into fist fights in the parking lot about, because like republicans are coming into town <laughs> that's a good bit that was a good bit <laughs> but 
it's not satire, which yeah. I still don't think SNL does super well. Yeah. And I think like the smugness inherent in a bit like Blue Georgia or Fight Club is yeah. like it gives the Blue Georgia bit gives fodder. It's basically the like so much for the tolerant left joke mm. put into skit yeah. form. And it's yeah. just like the smugness almost feels like they don't view comedy as having intense consequences in the same yeah. way that Fight Club doesn't view comedy having intense consequences. Yeah. Whereas something like know. Modest Proposal is just sort of yeah. like, fuck it, I'm going all in. Like, I'm going to yeah. say what I mean and mean what I say. <laughs> I'm going to make this so horrifying yeah. <laughs> that no one in their right mind would say, yes, let's kill and eat the babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no smugness present in like the producers yeah. or Modest Proposal or any of those movies. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. There's, I don't know of, of a good example of like modern comedy that is on that same level. I'm trying to think. And I, like, there's nothing popping into my head, but that doesn't mean that it's not out there. It's just that I haven't run across it. And this is going to sound like I'm verging into, oh, you can't be funny today because of political correctness, but I'm not trying to say that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, I think there is like cancel culture. Oh, a deep concern among like comedy writers about making satire because it can be easily taken the wrong way. And I guess like one, one, one show that I'm thinking of might be the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt which is a really good show if you've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really funny. But the characters in that are very cartoonish and like hyper-exaggerated. And I think yeah. that's a good one. Like the, the there's, there are a couple episodes about like gentrification in this neighborhood and the landlady played by Carol Kane decides to chain herself to a, bull, a bulldozer to stop a yuppie kennel going up. And the the friend's a, a pizza rat that lives in the empty lot. It's like I like like that stuff's pretty good, but I yeah I, I yeah it's it's a damn shame that it's really hard to think of stuff that has a good tone to it because the one that I keep thinking about like yeah what's a good satire of corporate America and well Silicon Valley was solid but. The thing about Silicon Valley is almost like fascism. Silicon Valley, the actual business place, has adopted all of that shit. Yeah, and everybody who works in tech fucking loves Silicon Valley. <laughs> <laughs> this show is But like about the, me. the best satire of business culture that I can think of is an old kids in the hall sketch where it starts off with a couple of like Quebecois uh, fur trappers in a canoe going down the street in Toronto and they're singing Alouetta. And then they, they, it cuts to a cubicle farm and you see that you, you just hear like, Shh, and you see a guy in a business suit, like sneaking around the cube cube walls. And then a club comes down over his head and he collapses. And then you see the, uh, <laughs> the trappers like going down the cubicle alleys with the canoe and one dude is walking away with half a leg and he's like oh should we go after him no francois he has drive he may become vice president one day (laughs) and then then they're talking over a campfire with like a row of suits on hangers (laughs) and like that's good that 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 was fucking quality yeah (laughs) but 
Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's real, real, real hard. So, like, my question to you is, how would you make Fight Club not be fodder <laughs> for these people? When writing, people talk about unaligned attributes a lot, like two things that don't go together, but enrich a character. And I think that is one of the things that makes Nazis immune, makes satire work with something like Nazism. Like in the producers, it's Nazi musical theater, which are things that cannot go together in anyone's mind. And uh, any of the like great satires of fascism, I think have like the more of those unaligned attributes they have, the better they work. Yeah. Like in the producers, Everyone who's making a Nazi musical is clearly very Jewish. <laughs> yeah, very Jewish or very, very gay. Yeah. And the uh, the Hitler tryouts is a yeah, fantastic scene as well. Ballerinas, like it's... And then <laughs> they have ballerinas and then a cowboy, I think, at one point. Yeah. And then the guy that they wind up with as the Hitler is this just guy who is on a permanent acid trip in life <laughs> who devolves the 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 musical into one bit into like a it's like an iron butterfly song <laughs> or no that's how he tries out is he basically plays an iron butterfly song and he has no idea what he's there for <laughs> but that's the hitler yeah and it's like that's one of the other jokes about this is like the guy who wrote the play is there and is so deeply offended by their choice of hitler that it it uh, again you gotta watch the producers yeah. the old one and it's chef's kiss <laughs> and i think like the more of those you can and that's what's the problem with like the blue georgia bit or the donald yeah. trump roast is that they're just doing like straight it's just like one note jokes yeah and people will watch that and be like either a oh the liberal left-wing media is mocking me or yeah. B, I don't see what the joke is because yeah. it isn't enough to like get your teeth into. It's just like flat or in yeah. fight clubs, was... there isn't enough to like make you even think twice about it. Yeah. And it was the problem that you ran into with Tina Fey doing her Sarah Palin. Yeah. Where she was just reading Sarah Palin's bits. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's that's kind of the joke, but then that kind of takes the teeth away or the the the, the scariness away from Sarah Palin. Yeah, because it's uh, everything that Tina Fey is, and Tina Fey is great, and everyone loves Tina Fey. So then it's like, oh, Sarah Palin, and I just think of Tina Fey. So, eh. and uh, whereas if you had played her up like a fucking monster or something, then that would have been a little better. Yeah. Eh? But yeah, yeah. So all of the comedy either verges on either super flat or they don't have the like producer's brilliance of getting all these various things going all at once and juggling all these plates and making it irredeemably left-wing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I uh, think it is the death of satire thing where like people are on one hand too afraid to make a real satire these days, but on the other hand, too afraid of just shamelessly shitting on an entire target demo. Yeah, because of how production makes... companies work. Exactly. So we're left like, in like a bland middle ground of nonsense. Yep. Yep. Until you get something like Adult Swim doing that. One of my one of my favorite pieces of media that's come out in the last decade of Too Many Cooks. <laughs> Have you ever seen I Too haven't. Many Cooks? It's 
weird as shit. <laughs> I love it. It's like a 13-minute bit that is a never-ending introduction to a sitcom yes. that then devolves into a guy just brutally murdering people <laughs> as they're introduced on screen <laughs> and then moves into, like, just going into, like, de- different <laughs> genres of, like, just riffs on, like, Battlestar Galactica <laughs> or <laughs> it. It's deeply strange. So yeah, you you either have to really dig in and commit to the bit, or go super abstract with only a slight hint of what you're trying to do. Yeah. Don't do neither. Yeah, don't do neither. Don't go middle ground. Middle yeah. ground doesn't work. It's not funny. Yeah. That's how you get Family Guy. I think that's about all the smart things I have to say. Yeah, that's all I got. I've 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 felt a wide range of emotions. We've grown, we've from, learned things. We're listening, we've, we're learning. We'll do better next time. <laughs> or whatever the fuck the Democrats say. We will, I, for one, refuse to do better next time. <laughs> I will, if anything, devolve <laughs> into just barking at the microphone for three hours. After reading endless Chris Cantu blogs. <laughs> well yeah i mean uh, so the next episode that i got on my radar here is the is we're going to be talking about mma lord have mercy on your soul and as a strong compliment to the fight club and how uh that has also been easily tweaked because it's popular but uh yeah. oh boy <laughs> yeah we got some fun fun things to talk about there like rise above movement white Rex. Uh, places that I went to in Kiev that turned out to post Nazi shit. That's so that's going to be fun. Nice. We're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. So that's going to be where I break and just start barking at the microphone. <laughs> well, signing off. <laughs> I've been Aaron Simon. I've also been Aaron Simon.